and welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and we're going to be discussing some of the hottest, controversial, and in many cases considered taboo topics. We cover every issue you've ever considered, and several you haven't even thought of, from the unique perspective of a conservative atheist. Enjoy! And welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and today I'm having I'm interviewing a very interesting and very intelligent man uh, by the name of Lipton Matthews. Uh, and I've had Lipton Matthews on the show at least two times now, if, if not three, and this will be the third or fourth time. And he's always an excellent guest and, and has a, a lot of great things to say. Uh, Mr. Matthews, welcome to the show. Hello, good morning, and good morning to your listeners. And so basically, I read your articles that, that you, you recently published, and they were about individualism. And you talked about how individualism, um, I guess, cult, well, I'm going to let you elaborate on that. All right. So I'm going to talk about the article on individualism. Okay, great. So this article was published by the Mises Institute, and right. I wrote the article because of Lawrence Mead. So I've always been interested in individualism, but Professor Lawrence Mead wrote a brilliant book titled The Burden of Freedom. However, despite his esteem as a distinguished academic on the right, the book has not been reviewed by major publications. It was reviewed by Ricardo Duchesne and somebody who writes for Claremont Review of Books penned a review. But despite his eminence, the book has been poorly reviewed. It has been poorly reviewed because Professor Mead is making the, the argument that individualism is a source of Western strength and America has been importing immigrants from non-European countries who are less individualistic and as a result, they struggle to thrive in America. Even if they achieve at a high level, they do not experience stratospheric success. That's his argument in a nutshell. He wrote the book and he also penned a shorter article in an academic publication. This elicited backlash. So the academic article is no longer online over. I have a PDF copy. So what, I, what, uh, what level of backlash did he get? The, the, the academic article was retracted. It was canceled. It was canceled. Hmm. And the, the, the media became infuriated. Somebody who writes for the New Republic penned as I won't use the word devastating. The review is unserious because I'm acquainted with African history. But Professor Mead was basically blackballed. I I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little confused as to, as to why the, they're so shocked that we said that, you know, Western civilization in the United States is based upon, um, our success is based upon individualism. I thought that was the, I thought everybody knew that. I thought that was the whole point. Yeah, it, it seems like a simple argument on the face of it, but we live in the age of multiculturalism where one must esteem all cultures equally, even when they are simply irrelevant or likely to impede progress. Basically, he, 
if you are minority, the assumption is that you're going to feel bad if you read Lawrence Mead. And the most important thing in academia today is to protect people and their feelings. Mm, yeah, so that's, that's why it's it counterproductive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's why it led to a backlash. So I wrote an article for Mises.org noting that country of ancestry matters for immigrants and individualism matters. And because personality traits are heritable, we ought to be careful about the decline in individualism. So intelligent people will have more intelligent children. Promiscuous men have more promiscuous children. So less individualistic people are likely to have children who are not as individualistic. So in the article, I cited a study published by an Asian academic. And this study is about China and Confucianism in China and the whole and the traits related to Confucianism proliferated in the society because more intellectual, more intellectual individuals who subscribe to those traits were having children, and they were also conformist. So they produce, they they were able to reproduce themselves, and this had a negative impact on growth because conformity is not pro-growth. So. This is in the article, and I say evidence analyzed by the London School of Economic Researcher indicates that the reproduction of personal, personality traits hostile to innovation stymies growth. Studying the reproductive rates of imperial China, the researcher shows that elites who subscribe to the conformist tendencies of Confucianism were likely to reproduce, and this adversely affected economic growth rates during the Qing Dynasty. Now, is is there? Do you think that there there's hope for societies like China and uh, and other other societies that are other other uh, you know non-Western societies that are less individualist? Uh, do you think that there's hope for them? Do you think they can change it around? Or is it ingrained in their culture and in their DNA and just not completely solvable? Of course, there's hope. Look at Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, and even China. China has experienced massive growth rates. Of course, there is hope. But saying that there is hope for these countries is not really a positive affirmation. Why is there hope for these countries? These countries score quite high. They, they, they score quite high on a metric known as long-term orientation. And one cannot have a prosperous civilization without long-term orientation. So East Asian countries do well because long-term orientation compensates for the pitfalls of individualism, of, sorry, of collectivism. And remember, collectivism on a, on, on a particular level is a subjective trait. So if you reside in a country where people are hardworking, productive, and innovative, then you're going to endorse those traits, and those traits become the collective. So, so East Asian countries have traits that are linked to growth. Therefore, because these traits are productive, where, collective, where collectivism is more likely to be successful than collectivism in Africa. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's why there's hope for these countries. The, the problem, however, is that Singapore, despite being an economic powerhouse in Asia, is still not as innovative as America. So if you look at measures of patents and innovation, Singapore will do quite well. But when you dive into the data, it becomes obvious that many of the best companies in the world are still in the West, and many of the elite companies in places like Singapore were founded by migrants. And 
furthermore, the Singaporean bureaucracy is competent. It attracts the best of the best, and they're paid well. So the bureaucracy is crowding out innovation in the private sector. And because the bureaucracy is so comfortable, people are hostile to becoming entrepreneurs. So Singapore is still not as entrepreneurial as the United States, where entrepreneurship and failure are celebrated in America. They're not celebrated in Singapore. So the government will prom- will make it easy for people to do business and for entrepreneurship to thrive, but the culture is not premised on entrepreneurship and risk-taking. The best and the brightest are still wary of entrepreneurship. So they're, they're, they're risk-inverse. Yes. Yeah, and, and obviously you can't have innovation, you can't have growth without, without risk. Yes. So I know, I know that... Um, yeah, I, I, Japan. I, th- I think you're right. Absolutely, is a, it was a really good example of how things turned around. Um, as far as the United States goes, uh, I know that you delved into a little bit of as far as far as the more people we import from countries that are um, that are um, less individualist and more more uh, collectivist, the the more it's going to hurt our economic growth and slow down our economy and, and, uh, and the progress in this country. Yes, because we are able to speak conclusively about the impact of immigration. We, do not, we no longer need to speculate because more studies are showing that country of ancestry not only predict behavioral patterns, but also employment rates. So people from a country that's known for cooperating when they migrate to america they cooperate and they have a positive impact on labor output people from individualistic country are more likely to be employed in in jobs requiring a high level of individualism what's even more interesting is that migrants from individualistic countries also have higher levels of human capital right yes you 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 also you 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 uh you did a, a contrast comparison between Barbados and uh, Jamaica. Could you could you elaborate a little bit on that for me? All right. Well, not not a problem. Although we're still talking about individualism. Oh no no yeah, always... yeah 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 go, no no go ahead go ahead. I, I meant after you, you you don't have to do it right this second. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I kind of jumped the gun. Yeah. So country of ancestry is super important. However, the the, the best studies on immigration, so far they're indicating that immigrants are not degrading the quality of institutions, but these studies contradict with the ancestry studies showing that immigrants do have an impact on on foreign countries. So the ancestry, so it's not just the culture, it's, it's, do you think it's also, it's also genetics? Yes. yes, Inheritability. Yes, we know resilience is heritable. We know that personality traits are highly heritable, in, like intelligence. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to have a, a hell of an impact. And so, and another important point about Singapore is that a study was in a recent edition of the Global Innovation Index using a global comparison shows that Singapore produces less innovation outputs relative to its level of innovation investments. So many of many of the West competitors in Asia, when you look at their innovation output and, com- and compared to R&D, it's below par. They're, they're, they're not as adept at commercializing as America. So that's America's key strength. Americans 
know how to bring a product to market. So an American will listen to both of us having this conversation, start a YouTube channel to provide commentary on our conversations and make millions. That's the strength of America. Americans can sell ice to Eskimos. <laughs> it would seem so. Yes, <laughs> it would seem so. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. It seems like yeah, it seems like that. Uh, I, I know that uh, a lot of the things that uh, I, I know there's a lot of uh, oh uh, Chinese um, industrial espionage because instead of innovating, they simply take other people's ideas and uh, and and remarket them through through their their own companies um, knockoffs. Is is that because they lack innovation? Most Chinese patents are not inventive patents. <laughs> so, and, and China also has a lower rate of commercialization than the U.S. And in the government bureaucracy, conformity is still a way of life. That's, t- that's still the typical course. So I'm, I'm not going to say that the Chinese can't innovate. Of course they can innovate, but their culture is less conducive to innovation than Western culture. So even a country like Sweden, Sweden is a social market economy, but Sweden combines individualism with social protection. Scandinavians are super individualistic people. They place a premium on autonomy. Right. Right. Very true. Um, So what would be the best course of action, do you think, for the United States as far as letting people in? Do we should we shut off uh, or or at least lessen um, immigration from these collective countries? American immigration should become similar to the immigration policy of a country like Canada. If you want to immigrate to Canada, you go to school, get a useful skill, and then you immigrate. It's too easy to migrate to America. If you're migrating to America, you should know why you're going to America. So I'm not fond of America's immigration policy. It's a free-for-all. You should know why you're going to America. I think that's yeah, right, right now we're basically we've basically turned ourselves into the world's homeless shelter. Exactly. The wretched refuse. You don't need the, the world wretched refuse. Yeah, I, I don't know who put that inscription. It wasn't originally on the on the statue. Now it is. <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 the it's Everybody that wants to completely open borders and just let everybody in the whole – if everybody in the whole damn world could pull, could move in here, they would. Yeah. What they don't understand is, is that would completely destroy this society, and it would change our culture in ways that we don't want. Exactly, because several of these migrants are coming from countries where time is not respected. They have a low appreciation for value creation. So you're running a consultancy firm, obviously – your services are not free. A businessman or woman is super rich, yet they want the service for free. America right. is a different ball game. People are punctual. It's a performance-oriented society, so management is efficiency. Being a, being a nice person doesn't mean that you're going to be a serious manager. Man, managers must be efficient. They must know how to improve the well-being of staff and increase output. And several immigrants are coming from countries where these concepts are foreign. So if a manager is nice, they say the manager is good. They like the manager, but the manager is not efficient. A, f- a friend of mine taught uh, conversational English in uh, Taiwan. And uh, was it Thailand, Taiwan or Thailand? I think it was Taiwan. And he said one of the things he had to learn was is that when they said the appointment was at 3 o'clock, it may be 3.20, it may be 4 o'clock, it may be it was whenever they showed up. 
So it wasn't it wasn't a set time. It was there wasn't like there they weren't as punctual as as you would expect here in the United States. And I, I think that's the case in, in Latin America as well. And and in the Caribbean. Yeah, see that that would never work here. <laughs> no, it, it, it wouldn't work here because uh, time is money. That's an American invention. Time is money. And the the, yeah. the, the entire business dynamic is so foreign to how people operate in the West. So somebody starts a business and the business is doing relatively well. Two months later, two weeks later, you show up at the shop and you say, what's going on? The person is closing the business, is doing well. Why are they closing? You don't know. So there's a limited propensity to think long-term and to ride out the business storm. Right, a completely different ball game. Yeah. So, yeah. So we we definitely need to change our immigration policy. I I know that in Australia they have uh, merit based. You have to have an you have to have uh, education. You have to have a, a specific reason why you're coming in. And uh, for some reason, we've done away with that. Ex- exactly. We used to have that. We had that up until the until 65. the yeah until yeah and then and then it just. We just did away with it. Yeah, you're taking the, the wretched, the wretched refuse of the world, and you, you might end up like Europe. So these European countries were known for high trust, peace, and stability. Now they're importing migrants who commit crimes. Europe people who migrate to Europe are more likely to commit crime. So studies don't show a strong correlation between immigration and crime in America, but they do for Europe, especially for Sweden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sweden. Sweden. Sweden went from a very safe place. Sweden is now the rape capital of Europe. That's that's bad. Yeah. But that's it, bad. And and, and it, w- 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 it didn't have that m- amount of rapes before. Yeah. No. But I, I I'm not particularly diplomatic. But many of these countries in the West, Sweden, America, Germany, they're basically becoming shithole countries. I I cannot understand I why the part of the world that created modernity wants to become a dump it's almost like we're ever since the 1960s it's like we feel bad for our own success we 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 feel guilty for succeeding and we were on a mission to 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 destroy ourselves it's we're imploding um, which is really sad. I mean, it happened to the Roman Empire. And I it's guess it's sad. It's pathetic us. because you're in a developed country. You're able to walk the streets freely without somebody bothering you or soliciting money. And foreign countries, including America, look at California. People don't seem to care about rules. It was once said, Calif- countries like America are different from the rest of the world. When you go to America, you do your business and you're not bothered. Right. <laughs> no, there are cities in America where people live on the street and attorneys say there's a right to sleep on the street. Right. Right. And, and yeah, we <laughs> have a lot of, we have a lot of foreigners that are, that are living on the streets right now, especially in the Southwestern States. And they're literally just on the streets. They're just sleeping on the sidewalk, the huge encampments with tents and, and, uh, and, and the people and, and there's, there's mayor. Now the best part is, is that some of these other States, um, Florida and Texas, started shipping the, the illegal immigrants to these so-called sanctuary cities and states because it's it's easy to be a landlocked city, a landlocked state. It's easy to say 
uh, you're not even close to the border and you say, well, I'm a sanctuary city. Well, that, that means nothing because you're not along the border. So when we start, when they start shipping these illegal immigrants to these so-called sanctuary states and cities, all of a sudden the mayors and the governors of those states and cities were up in arms. Well, what happened to you being a sanctuary city? This should, if you're a sanctuary city, this is what you should want. But do you know what's also unfortunate? There was a point in American history when philanthropists and middle class people would, would, would start organizations to promote immigrants, adopt immigrants, and then provide resources. Why right. they, they did so because Americans, people of Western descent naturally, are not as ethnocentric as other groups and they're quite high in openness. So these immigrants were imported into America and philanthropists invested in their well-being. Today, it's the reverse. So you say, come to America. And when you come to America, you turn it into a dump and people smile that you're living on the street. You, you put up this tent, this ugly tent, and they smile. They're no longer upset that the country is dwindling. It's relapsing into a squalor. The, 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 the tolerance for waste is becoming so unbearable in rich countries. Well, and the, and the idea that you that you when you move in, you have to assimilate some so somewhat. That's a dirty word. Assimilation. You, 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 <laughs> I'm not saying somebody has to completely give away their culture. I would never say that. But but you have to you have to make some compromise and, and you know what I mean if I move to Japan, I couldn't I couldn't demand Japan become more American. I'd have to I'd have to I'd have to, you know, make myself fit better into their culture if I'm going to stay long term and not just a visit. And it seems like that we've decided that no, no, actually, nobody has to assimilate. Nobody has to try to, to become part of our culture. All these cultures can just come here and, and be separate on their own, which is breaking our country into pieces. And they act like all migrants are equal. So when you compare Asians to Mexicans after over 10 years, Asians will close the income gap with white Americans. Mexicans are more likely to struggle. So not all immigrants are the same. The Igbos in Nigeria are successful, but not all Nigerians who migrate to America are going to be successful. And why would they be successful? Nigeria is a corrupt country with a low civic culture. Tribal. I saw a video. I've seen several videos. I'm sure you're familiar with the term necklacing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They they don't like something you've done, and they take you out in the street and put a car tire full of gasoline around your neck and set you on fire. And everybody in the neighborhood stands around and laughs yeah, at those rocks and bottles. There's this academic. His name is George Ooster Dikoff. I'm a big fan of his work, and his thesis is that there are many parts of the world where people are still socializing at a primitive level. They're at a lower stage of psychosocial development. And Nigeria is one of those societies where tri- there is still tr- trial by ordeal. People are still accused of being a witch. In some parts of Africa, children are accused of witchcraft and they are killed. Scary stuff. Yeah, so these are mystical places. And not well, all Nigerians are going to add value in the states. The ones who are doing well are the better ones. There, there, there was a selection for those people. 
it's not easy for a Nigerian to get a visa. So the typical Nigerian who gets a visa will be a smart or middle-class person. And that's one thing we don't seem to understand in this country. When they say, well, look at, look at this person, look how successful they are. Yes, because we're getting the cream of the crop. That's why. You're just like India. India is really a basket case. It still has a caste system. The bureaucracy is inefficient. Corruption is plaguing the country. But many of the Indians who migrate are highly educated Indians, and they're from the Brahmin class. Yeah, I, I, I was. Anytime I watch a documentary on India, I'm always shocked. I'm shocked that the place exists, exists in, the, in the state of affairs that it does. Exactly. It's, it's it just it blows my mind. It's 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 like it's hard to fathom. I couldn't even believe it. Just um, that the Filipinos, the F- Filipino immigrants are doing really well in America. The average income the last time I checked was over one hundred thousand U.S. dollars. Average, I think, median income. But again, most of the Filipinos who migrated to America works in the medical profession. It's a select group of people. Right. So let's uh, let, let's 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 move to the uh, Barbados. Barbados and Jamaica cuz I, I made a really good uh, comparison of why one succeeded and one didn't. Yeah, so Barbados and Jamaica. Both former colonies of Britain. Barbados is a leader in social progress in the Caribbean. So there's a social progress indicator and Barbados has done well. Barbados literacy rate is higher than that of Jamaica, close to 100. Jamaica literacy rate, the last time I checked a few years ago, was in the late 80s. Barbados crime rate is lower than that of Jamaica. Until recently, Barbados was known for extreme peace. Typically, more countries today are having some crime problem, but Barbados was never known for crime. When you live in the Caribbean, Barbados is portrayed as this bourgeois, prestigious place where people are really civilized. So why are both countries so different? They're different because of the institutional setting. Barbados was a settler's colony. Mm. White Englishmen, they settled in, in Barbados, built plantation. They were married to white women. Family life was more stable in Barbados. Barbados had more schools. The blacks in Barbados also did relatively well to, to blacks elsewhere. Free people of color, free people of color and skilled black slaves they were preferred to poor whites who were less technically skilled. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So, and, in, and, in, a, in a meritocratic society, that's the way it should be. But I've, I've made the point on a number of occasions that even in slavery, skilled enslaved were preferable to incompetent whites. Oh, of course. That was the norm in slavery, both in the West Indies and in southern america because when you need something done you need it done it doesn't matter you know yeah absolutely obviously you know skilled regardless of even if it's you know a white person black person asian person whoever that's the best is best skilled is gonna you know be the most you know advantageous to whoever's barbados also had a larger stratum of skilled slaves relative to jamaica so now, now why do you think that is 
why 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 did the Bayesians have a larger a larger number of skilled slaves relative to Jamaica? Look, it's because of the education system. No, or? Well, well, in Jamaica, closer to emancipation, some planters actually built these small facilities to train workers for apprenticeship. But let me explain. So, Akan slaves were noted for skill. Those slaves went to Jamaica. Igbo slaves were noted for being intelligent and civilized. Those slaves also went to Jamaica. But slavery in Jamaica and Barbados was brutal. It was brutal in both countries. However, in Barbados, there was an incentive for slaves to cooperate with masters because Barbados is a smaller country. So if you escape, where are you going to go? it's, It's difficult for you to get a hideout. So in Barbados, there, there was a selection for intelligence. Slaves who cooperated were rewarded. And there are examples of, el- of elite slaves who played an influential role on certain plantations. So if both slaves went to, let's say two slaves went to the Caribbean, one went to Barbados, one went to Jamaica. They're both skilled slaves. Jamaica had several rebellions. From the beginning, there, there were rebellions in Jamaica. But in, one, in, in Barbados, one could experience a century without a single slave revolt because the slaves were so well controlled. So the skilled slave who went to Barbados is going to adapt and move up on the learning curve. Right. Because based on his orientation, it's less likely for him to be rewarded for revolting. You're going to be killed and killed brutally. And if you re- revolt, you're not going to create a, pro- a prominent maroon community. So there were maroons so, in so, Barbados. Don't get me wrong. Bar- Jerome Handler, he has done some studies on the maroon system in Barbados. It wasn't as elaborate as that of Jamaica, but there, there, was a f- there were maroons in Barbados. But in Barbados, the selection for conformity and intelligence was stronger. So a skilled slave in Barbados had no choice but to improve his talent and that of his children. So even in slavery, people had families. When they did, when slaves didn't live on slave plantation, they could visit each other. So there was more institutional learning. So, 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 the, so the, uh, the unintended consequences of, of slavery being brutal in Barbados meant that it meant that the options of the slaves were limited yes and they had to excel in, in, instead of try to revolt yes that makes sense yes that makes a lot of sense that makes a heck of a lot of sense there's always uh, unintended consequences or you know double-edged swords swords with i mean it's horrible obviously um and- but 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 if you know you know there's still the upside you know well, they, I mean, I hate to even say this, but like a silver lining, it it, it helped the the slaves that, that that you know, even though it was a more brutal system, it sounds like it helped the slaves develop into, um, you know, more capable. Yes, yes, and Barbados did not develop an oppositional peasantry class after emancipation. J- Jamaican slaves did not want to work on the plantation. Many of them migrated. Bayesian slaves. Not slaves, no, free people, Bayesian freed people did not have a choice. So some opted 
to work on these labor plantation and at the same time invested in education. They saw education as a tool for social mobility. In Jamaica, black children were more likely to stay home and farm. So Jamaica and Barbados developed two different cultures. At the highest level of society, Bayesian planters saw themselves as bourgeois gentlemen. So the entire dynamic was different. Even in 19th century Jamaica, it was not unusual for upper middle class people to swear or to fight or to be accused of committing adultery. So Bayesians approach life with more eloquence. Now, would you would you say that the Bayesians are, were more um, embraced Western civilization? And yes, yes, civilization yes, yes, yes. Yeah, interesting point. So there is a Bayesian activist, no deceased. He was a 19th century activist, and I'm going to give you his name, Prescott. It's Prescott Bar- Bar- Barbados. So he was a free person. Yes, Samuel Jackman Prescott. He was a free person of color became the first person of African descent to be elected to the Parliament of Barbados. So this person is significant because of his classical liberal views. He supported free labor and free markets. And I find that interesting because the Caribbean doesn't have a robust classical liberal tradition. So in Barbados, there was a greater appropriation of British classical liberal values by both whites and the black upper class. Interestingly, again, the black middle class built academic institutions, and these institutions provoked a response from the white elite. So the black middle class was actually a trendsetter in facilitating education in Barbados. So Bayesian people are more educated than Jamaicans. Jamaica's IQ is 75.08, Barbados' IQ is over 90, so the, so the average level of intelligence in Barbados is higher than in Jamaica, and that's why politics developed so differently. Bayesian politicians were policymakers, even in the 1940s, they had to invite people to attend a conference, not a conference, but a political rally, so people would show up to attend the political rally, and the speaker would promote ideas to, to develop Barbados. It was not encouraged to bash your opponent. That was seen as lowbrow, whereas Jamaican politicians were charismatic and they had to bash their opponents to succeed. Bayesian politicians didn't promote pork barrel politics or garrison politics. So Jamaican politics is tribal, where there are two parties, JLP and the PMP, and parties of garrison. So communities that vote mostly for one party. It, it it became quite violent. It was really violent for several years. It has declined somewhat, but politics is really the basis of violence in Jamaica. So if you want, you can read somebody called Amanda S-I-V-E-S. She wrote a book on Garrison politics. There are several books on Garrison politics. So Jamaican politicians, they nurtured Garrison politics and violence. As, well, yeah. what, 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 it, what it sounds like you're saying is, is that the Barba- the people in Barbados value mm-hmm. substance when politics and, and Jamaica more uh, flash. Yeah, the, the Jamaicans really like style. Yeah, Bayesian yeah, value substance. Jamaican value style. So there, Andrew Dawson, he has a paper comparing Jamaica to Barbados. And this is what he says. The fact... 
the fact that both progressive parties were more legal rational in approach hindered the escalation of political violence and thereby the institutionalization of patronage patronage politics, the absence of which failed to send the island down a trajectory similar to that in Jamaica, while also providing the foundation for a strong rule of law post-independence. Now, while we're talking, let me ask you what, and I, I can't remember if we touched on this before or not, but what, what, uh, what do you think the difference is when you look at two countries, like say, since we're, since we're down in the Caribbean, we're talking about in the Caribbean, what, what, what do you think makes the world of difference between say, um, oh, uh, the Haitians and, and the other part of the island, the Asian, the Dominicans. No, Haiti, other history of political instability. So when I was a student studying history, I did a course on Haiti. Haiti had the Asian revolt. After the Asian revolt, it was difficult to create social capital. So leaders were elected, violence erupted, and when the violence erupted, the leader was deposed, and many of these leaders, they went to Jamaica to seek refuge. So Haiti has a history of political instability. Why does this, is, why is Haiti still so unstable? I'm going to be politically incorrect. Go ahead. The, the, Haitian, <laughs> the Haitian revolution was a mistake. No, ooh, yes, ooh, I don't know. Even, even there's people per- right now. There's people's people in their heads are exploding. No, right the now. Haitian Revolution was a mistake. If the Haitian Revolution had failed, slavery would have lasted for a longer time in Haiti. But Haiti would be a different country today. Let's be practical. Haiti launched a revolution against France and successful. Countries are not going to engage Haiti as an equal partner. Haiti was isolated. France imposed a payment on Haiti. So the revolution, in retrospect, it's, it was a mistake. Jamaica had a re- an early rebellion to the Taki rebellion, and some want to make Taki a hero. And I make the point that there is no evidence to suggest that Taki would have abolished slavery. Based on what we know, he sounds like a dictator. And this Taki, Taki was a man who in Africa had no problem engaging Europeans in the sale of slavery. He had a problem when he was enslaved. If the Taki Rebellion was successful, Jamaica would be a Haiti today. Hmm. So that's Haiti's problem. The, the, the revolt was a mistake. Yeah, it's amazing to me that, that you know, is, is that, Jamaica, that uh, Haiti is the, uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And, uh, and yet, I'm not saying that uh, the Dominican Republic is perfect, but it's it's so much different than Jamaica. I'm sorry, than Haiti. Yes, it has its, its problems of political instability too. But the Haiti's main error is the revolution. The revolution was a mistake. What uh, what what progress do you think could be made in Haiti? Progress is not I mean, impossible. Look at Rwanda. Rwanda is improving because Paul Kagame is a dictator who does not make the private sector feel uncomfortable. Rwanda's growth is really attributed to economic freedom. There's actually a piece by somebody called Ryan Murphy. It's an academic article. It's about getting to Denmark, and he gave Rwanda a high score. So if Haiti were to get a real leader, not necessarily a leader like Paul Kagame, who's a bit of a dictator, but if Haiti gets a better leader who can inculcate a sense of national pride and promote social capital, then the country can excel. It's not impossible to turn a country around. But presently, I don't see a future for Haiti. 
When, when the United States and Western powers in general get involved in third world countries, um, what mistakes do you think they're making? Western powers should not get involved in third world countries. Two, two reasons. When Western powers intervene in third world countries, they're often doing so to promote geopolitical interest and economic interest. So if America intervenes in that country, it's because that region is of strategic importance to America. Western powers dump money into failing countries, but they don't pursue a program of cultural and political reform that adds value. So that's the, that, that, that's the first problem. And the second problem is that Western countries are too charitable to, to dictators who support Western interests. That's another big problem. How big of a how big of a uh, a threat do you think China is when it comes to uh, their influence over third world countries, especially in places like Africa? If you are a smart leader in a third world country, the scent of China is actually good because the Chinese they have cash. They're ready to spend and invest. And China has a non-interference policy. China, again, give her due. She has some advantage in technology. So if you're a leader like Lee Kuan Yew, who's serious about institutional transfer and the exchange of knowledge, the right of China is actually good. But look at Africa today. Most of their leaders are not desirable people. So the, the right of China is bad for Africa because the Chinese don't place a premium on good governance. They're not going to tie aid to good governance or political reform. So the right of China is bad for Africa. In this sense, there's actually a wealthy man. He has an index to measure governance in Africa. And he claims that since the rise of China, Africa has become more corrupt. This data is actually quite old, maybe from 2015, 2016. Let me check. Let me get his name. I think it's the Ibrahim Index. Yes, the Ibrahim, the Ibrahim Index of Governance. Now, um, I saw a documentary recently. Well, it wasn't that recently. Yeah, by it was Harvard. It was created it's by called... Harvard, but it was sponsored by a wealthy man. Oh, okay. This, the, the documentary I saw was called Empire of Dust. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen, but luckily I'm on my computer, so I can Google it. Yeah, you should. Yeah, well, you can find it on. You well, can find it on YouTube. So, two men representing two different cult cultures clash in the dust of the former Belgian colony, the Democratic yep. Republic of Congo. Great, it's great that we're talking about the Congo because they have opinions on the Congo. But you go ahead. Yeah, it's it's an amazing documentary. Yes. It's it's you have to you know it's it's all in. Um, you know, it's Chinese, and and uh, and uh, so you get, you have to you know read subtitles, but it's not it's not bad. It's a good documentary, and it's basically the Chinese are criticizing. They're, they're working in in the Congo, and they're and they're criticizing and upset because the it's just not you know the the work standards and the and the you know the the, the theft and the, and the uh, not showing up for work and. And all sorts of other things. It's it's chaotic compared to what they're used to in China, apparently. Yes, but, but it, it, I guess Congo is more chaotic than Jamaica because in Jamaica, she said that one Chinese person can do the work of five Jamaicans. 
So one of the reasons for a low productivity in Jamaica is that management is ineffective. If you work in a quality organization, you get ahead by being cooperative and productive. In Jamaica, according to a survey that was done in the 90s, Ken Carter, he has a book, Why Jamaicans Won't Work. People say that to get a promotion in Jamaica, one must carry news. In other words, feed the boss with gossip. So it's an unproductive culture. So I guess the Congo is worse than Jamaica. So what, what uh, I mean, is there is what would you suggest that people do in Jamaica? What, what could be done in Jamaica that would change that culture or well, I've been make writing, it more productive? I have been writing about cultural reform for the Mises Institute. I write for foreign publications. I don't think that Jamaicans are willing to confront the poison in their culture. Countries can't advance unless they accept that they're backward. So there must be an acknowledgement that you're crappy. So if I'm a bad student, I must acknowledge that I, I am Lipton Matthews and I'm a bad student. If you don't acknowledge incompetence, you can't become competent. So I give, I'm going to give a story. I wrote a piece once a long time ago on climate science and it wasn't published. And then months later, I read it again. It was edited. I added better information i resubmitted the paper and it was published because the second piece was an improvement so unless you're willing to acknowledge that you are failing you cannot improve and in jamaica there's no acknowledgement of failure i have a i don't like to contribute to jamaican publication because i don't think that the readership is serious so you think you feel you feel like you'd be wasting your time yes yes but I have a Substack blog, and I have some notes on Jamaican Substack, and I sent one of these notes to a local publication several months ago. Surprisingly, it was published yesterday, and I make the argument that the education system is married in failure because there isn't an acknowledgement of incompetence. So people were influential in education aver that failing doesn't exist as a standard so they want to get us in the concept of a failing school but failing failing is a standard like success if failing does not exist success cannot exist if you got the notion of fail of success you're also destroying failing so there's this argument that schools are more than academics of course a school is more than academic but academics and intellectual development these are really important you must cultivate the mind and the character so in the I, piece, I, I completely agree. Yeah, so in the piece, I basically said, look, we're wasting time. Human capital is important. If we want to improve human capital, we should transform most of these failing high schools into technical high schools because spatial skills predict innovation and Jamaicans have spatial skills. They like to work with their hands. So turn these failing high schools into technical high schools. Why would you be focused as a student when you want to learn welding and you're being taught physics it makes no sense so physics could physics can help a welder but the focus should be on welder and not necessarily physics so we need to transform failing schools into technical high schools so that after graduation these children can get a job and succeed in life let's so so sh shift to shift to more trade schools yes yeah and let, let's let, let, let's be smart england when england became the first industrial nation. England had trade schools. When Jap when Germany industrialized, J Germany also had trade schools. Trade schools are not bad. They're commercially relevant. But in, in Jamaica, people don't like to face reality. And as I said in the article, 
Jamaica's IQ is 75.08. Countries that are known for academic success like Finland and Singapore, their average IQ is like over 100. So if the average IQ is 100, it means that the average purple, the average person is able to learn. I, there's a big difference between an IQ of 75.8 and 100.1. So if the oh, IQ huge. Yeah, if the IQ is 75.08, it means that the average person is below average in intelligence. Well, f- they, 15 points is one full standard yeah, deviation. Yeah, so in Jamaica, the average student is below average in academic intelligence. So why expend billions of dollars on education when you know that these schools are failing? It, it makes no sense. So for Jamaica to improve it would have to face reality the government wants to build stem academies i've been advocating this policy for a long time because economic growth is driven by the smart set that's what Ina rinderman calls it joel monker calls it upper tail human capital so serious countries build institutions to enable the best and the brightest to thrive because they're responsible for growth when the government announced some years ago that it will intended to build STEM academies, that led to a backlash. People said that it was elitist, but elitism is actually good. We're not all equal. So I'm passionate about the STEM academies, but being Jamaica, Jamaica will find a, a way to, to pollute the program, and it has already done so by create by proposing the creation of a STEAM academy. Art, artistic people are spontaneous. You don't need to go to school to, to learn how to become an entertainer. So if you create a STEAM academy, that's really a waste of resources. But the government had to create the STEAM academy to placate Jamaicans who are obsessed with entertainment and wasting time. The STEAM academy is too nerdy for such people. So how, how much, just shifting gears a little bit, how much of an impact do you think drug use, if any, uh, has had on, on the Jamaican culture and its lack I, I, of progress? Look, marijuana induces psychosis in some people. Jamaicans love to smoke. They love marijuana. If they're at work, they need time to go and smoke. Other countries have enclosed spaces where people smoke, like in in the Netherlands, people smoke. In Finland, people smoke. But Jamaica is woefully unproductive. So for a country so unproductive, Jamaicans are focused on the wrong priorities. It's just like children who complain that the principal doesn't like their hairstyle. If If the school rule is governing fashion, follow the fashion of the school. When you graduate, then you can ball your head or do whatever you wish. But as a failing student, don't care about your hairstyle. So Jamaicans have the wrong priority. So the school rate, the school's pass rate is below 50. And people are talking about wearing hairstyle and weaves and all sorts of crap. These are not issues that should be plaguing a failing country. When you're failing, you don't have time to think about fashion or smoke on the job. So yes, J- J- Jamaican they love they love marijuana. They love to smoke. They like weed. They there's also this running joke about men who sit on the corner of a road and they dig out. They they put their finger into their palm and they dig it because they're rubbing the weed. So it's really a waste culture. And mm. a lot of these men are unproductive because they smoke marijuana. They're drugs. They, they love to drink. Now, do you get a lot of backlash from the things you say in Jamaica, or you? When I when I wrote, you publish most of your stuff abroad. I'm abroad now, but when I used to write, I I would get backlash. I didn't care. I would often laugh because most delusional people don't know that they're delusional. So I would just laugh. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. Um, So here's a. I have a very strange question for you. 
Why are you still there? Well, I, I might be leaving soon. Don't I'm working on a plan to get out soon. But yes, people keep asking me that. But I'm here because because of, because I'm not I'm not I'm not a person that gives out compliments easily. Yeah, I'm. But you're you're a smart guy. There's no reason for you to be there. Yeah, I I plan to go away soon. But I live here unfortunately because after graduating from high school, I didn't study in Canada. I opted to study at UWE. Had I studied in Canada, I would not have lived in Jamaica up to this point. So I made that error. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, you're one of the people I would like to see come to the United States or Canada or somewhere besides where you're at. Yeah, because, people keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're a, you're a really smart guy. I mean, I, I read, I, you know, I've read your articles, and I, we've had several conversations now, and uh, you know the way you describe Jamaica, and and uh, you sound right on point, and you, you really don't belong in that place. You you belong somewhere else. <laughs> You belong. You belong somewhere else where you're, where you, you know, where you can thrive. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so right about that. But you can thrive anywhere. So I live yeah, here, yeah. and I still man, I still manage to do relatively well for myself. Graduating from after graduating from school, getting a job wasn't a struggle. It is a struggle for most people. But I, I mean, right. is, is, is part of it is that you that you even though you, you see the you see the uh, you have criticism of Jamaica, you still love your country. Is that part of it? Not anymore. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, not, not anymore. <laughs> like, look, as I said, in Singapore, politicians are highly paid because Lee Kuan Yew wanted the best people to serve in politics. Today, Singapore has the best public sector in the world, according to research. Jamaica is a failing society, and what do politicians do? They reform the public sector to standardize wages. So wages were increased across the board. If they want, they can get a 50% increase or a 75%. What do these politicians do? They grant the political directorate a 200% increase, well, over 200%, and they're failures. Yeah, well, if we don't, if we don't uh, change things around in some of our major cities here in the United States, we're gonna become Jamaica. Yes, it is hard to happen. Like I can, people like people like me migrate to foreign countries because when we're walking, we don't want to be bothered. And America is going to become that place where everywhere you go, there's somebody asking you for money. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're we're gonna turn into Brazil. Is what we're gonna turn into. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a friend from Brazil, and and, I, and we're good friends. But I don't want to be. I don't want the United States to be Brazil. No offense. No offense. No offense, uh, Mendez. When you hear this. Because he's going to hear this. And no offense to Julieta, but when you guys hear this, I love Brazilians. They're nice people, but I don't want the United States to become Brazil. No, it shouldn't. But uh, Empire, back to Empire, though. So the Congo, another fascinating story. King Leopold II of Congo was not a great person, but his image has been badly damaged. It is said that, let me, so Adam, Adam Oxchild wrote a book about the Congo, and he basically called King, King Leopold of Congo a mass murderer, and it was said that he killed 10 million Congolese. This is fallacious. At no point during the reign of Leopold II of Congo did 10 million people live in Congo, and over the duration of his reign, he did not have the manpower to kill 10 million people. Adam Oxchild misused sources. So Jan Van Sina actually said that 
his source, Jan Vancino actually did a new estimation of his sources, and Vancino argues that in some parts of Congo, the population actually increased. So hmm. it's a lie. Yeah, so it couldn't be. Opposed goals. Yes, it's a lie. There's a lot of historical myths. Yeah, Congo was actually a capital-intensive colony. The, the Belgians were the most capital-intensive colonial colonialist. And I've read that were in an academic book, not in some fiction book. Belgi- right. Yeah, Belgian colonialism built modern academic institutions, introduced modern industry. On the eve of, Bel- of Congo's independence, some people were actually lauding the Congo as a success. There's this person you should read called David Fieldhouse. He's now deceased, but he wrote well on imperialism. Yeah, and imperialism is a double-edged sword. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt people's cultures. I'm not saying it doesn't brutalize the people. But it's it's kind of like what you were talking about, you know, with Barbados, where they were forced to improve because they didn't have any other options. Imperialism can 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 be a it can um, be positive. So yeah, I read it can this be a positive. It can it can, is, it can accelerate your growth. Yes. Yeah, so there's this academic paper on imperial capital. Imperialism can benefit countries by building efficient bureaucracies, modernizing infrastructure, investing in science. The British they build schools and universities in Africa. They there's a paper by Valentin. Siegler and this paper paints British bureaucratic reforms in a positive light. So imperialism can be beneficial, especially for people who are lagging behind. If they're willing to embrace yeah, so like Roman the British, they have benefited from Roman roads. Oh places, places in Germany that were under the Roman Empire, they have also benefited. And I've written on this for the Muses Institute. Imperialism can have advantages. You, you know, I've I've explained that so many times to people that you know, if you're if you're a culture that's willing to grow and you're able to grow, uh, being conquered and and being you know by an imperial force can actually accelerate your growth and 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 make you uh, more advanced than you normally would be. Uh, that was the case with the Romans and and all of the you know the rest of Western Europe. But uh, yes, the paper. If you, can, if you can't, then you know some people languish and 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 it. The paper's titled The Imperial Roots of Global Trade, I think is great. I read it. Like imperial in this paper we collect novel data on the rise and fall of empires over the last five thousand year, years, construct a measure of accumulated imperial capital between countries and estimate its relationship with trade patterns today. Or measure of imperial capital as a positive and significant effect on trade beyond historic beyond potential historical legacies such as sharing a language, a religion, a legal system, or links via natural trade and invasion routes. Yeah, so empire is not always bad. Thomas Sowell book, Conquest and Culture. You should mm-hmm. read Did you read it? No, I have. I, I meant to, but I haven't. You should like. I read it online. I have an e-copy, so uh-huh. I read. Yeah, I read it online. It's great. The Japanese, the, the Scots, smart people. Oh yeah, have... yeah, yeah, yeah. Japanese, ex- excellent example. Uh, the Japanese were completely flipped around. And made a progressive, a, a, a successful society 
because of their loss in World War II and their 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 reorganization of their of their culture. But they reorganized the culture before World War II. There was the Meiji Restoration, the return of imperial rule to Japan. And so the the, the Japanese decided that if they didn't modernize, they would end up becoming a vassal state of America of, of the West, and they did not want that. So they modernized, and by the 20th century, they were beating Russia in warfare. Right. They copied Western law, Western military, Western education. They wanted to be Western. And Fuku, Fuku Zawa Yukichi, he was the lead reformer, and he admitted that Japan was a backward country. So there can be no progress without the acknowledgement that you're backward. Well, right now the United States is going backwards, and we need to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, no, um, Americans should stop saying "in God we trust" and say "dog." In dog we trust, D-O-G. <laughs> in dog we trust. Right. <laughs> like, did you see what happened recently? Some mentally unstable person went to the White House, a trans person, and she watched. The person wasn't wearing a bra, some crap like that, and was banned from the White House. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 there was a video yeah. of them jumping up and down, and, you know, with a topless, and it was a guy that had breast implants. It's, in dog we trust, in dog we trust. Our, our country is becoming, <laughs> Western civilization is becoming so twisted and perverted. Dog, you trust, you trust in dog. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess. I guess so. It's it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't like Barack Obama. I didn't I didn't agree with his policies, but at least he had a brain. At least he was a thinking man. Joe Biden doesn't even. I mean, he doesn't even know where he's out half the time. <laughs> I can disagree with somebody on something as long as I know that there there's a thinking brain inside that skull. But if there's not, I mean, he needs to be put in a nursing home, not not in the White House. But Joe Biden is old, and Trump might go to might go to prison. The country's just a laughing stock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, our country's like coming apart at the seams. <laughs> yes, you, you trust in dog, not God. But I, I'm I'm not I'm not really being funny because. The church built the legal system of the West, religious freedom, universities, scientific institutions. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, many legal principles were also created by the church. There's a pod, like Christianity is a better predictor of human rights protection than even cognitive ability. Yeah, the, uh, Islam, Islam destroys everything. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's collectivism. <laughs> I'm laughing because there's this book by somebody called Emmett Scott. You should, you must read it. So okay. M.X. Scott is revisiting an old argument by Henri Pirin, the, the, friend, the, the scholar who said that Islam ushered in the Dark Ages, not Christianity. And M.X. Scott's archaeological research is just brilliant. He's able to show that after the fall of the Roman Empire, Germanic tribes preserved Roman law and institutions where cities blossomed and then Islam came and cities started to decline and Islamic Spain was a mess so what we have been told about the, the, the Islamic golden age in Spain is all a lie it's more complicated than what I'm saying but it's just a summary for your readers who like right. a polemical argument Emmett is not being polemical but I am being polemical to get them to read it 
But yeah, Islam, <laughs> Islam ushered in the Dark Ages, not Christianity. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Islam is, uh, and it's on the rise, by the way. Yeah, and the Islamic... Especially in Europe. Yeah, Islamic regions are correlated with low human capital. So if you're in Nigeria, Islamic country, the Islamic parts of Nigeria are poor. If you're in Ghana, the Islamic regions are also poorer. Yeah, we, we we're constantly at odds with somebody. We're constantly at, at war with some somebody, and we've decided that we've we've. It's I think that our biggest enemy in the United States and in the West is apathy. <laughs> we we don't we don't fight for our our, our own survival anymore. We're just kind of languishing. I agree. They're they're sitting and watching others devour them. Yeah. And, and and in many cases encouraging it. The, the 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 biggest cancer to the United States, it's not the third world, it's not it's not Islam, it's not uh, it's not communism. Well, I mean it's kind of is communism, but it's 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 the Western left. Yes, white people. Yeah, it's the Western left. It's they're 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 like a cancer. They, eating away from us, eating away at the country from inside. They, and their, their war on energy is so pathetic because economic progress can't be sustained without reliable energy resources. That's one of the reasons why economic growth in Greece petered out. Energy is super important to growth and they're waging a war on fossil fuels. The climate is always changing. There's nothing special about climate change. Well, a big, a big, and I was watching this on um, what was it, uh, National Geographic. One of the big problems is that uh, you know every twenty five thousand years we have a cycle that goes around the sun, the Earth, and how close we are to the sun and how far away we are from the sun. How, you know how long the, the you know how much the orbit stretches determines a lot about global warming or global cooling. And we're actually going to go into a new ice age. Yes, scientists have been predicting the coming of an of, a, of an ice age for our time for some time now. Yes, this, I, I know in the 1970s that's all they ever talked about. It's just mass hysteria. Who is the who's the greatest scientific expert in the West? A mentally unstable girl, Greta Thunberg. <laughs> yeah, everybody respects her. She doesn't know anything. She's exactly. She's just some girl who's shouting, saying, How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Her eyes are rolling back in her head. I mean, that's it's, she it's, looks, it's, no, she looks like I can mock Greta because she's no longer a girl. She's like what 17, 18? No, not that. No, not, she's in her 20s now. Exactly. So she's a woman and she's crazy and hard to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, her eyes. If you look at her eyes, she looks like a lunatic. Yeah, she is a lunatic. Men- so mental instability runs in her family. She's a lunatic. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> like Michael Knowles called her mentally unstable on Fox News and they gutted him, but I love Michael Knowles. Do you know Michael Knowles? Um, what's the name? Michael Knowles. He work he works with Ben Shapiro. He had a show on the Daily Wire. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. He's he's funny. Unlike Ben Shapiro, I think Michael. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Ben Shapiro fan. Oh, you're a huge Ben Shapiro fan. Yeah, well, Ben I, Shapiro. I'm a, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I listen to him, but sometimes I think Ben Shapiro can get a bit. 
he's a little cocky. Not just cocky, but he's not that radical. Like I want somebody who's more inspirational. <laughs> you know who I really like? I like um oh um oh uh oh my god, what's the Asian girl's name? Um Oh, I can't believe I can't think of this. So <laughs> she's she's um Korean. Um Oh that, that girl from North Korea? She's not from North Korea. Oh, yeah. She's uh oh she used to be a bigger political pundit, but I don't know I haven't seen her in a while. Oh um, Michelle, oh that not okay. Michelle, yeah, 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 yeah. I know who you're talking about. Michelle I'm, Malkin. Michelle Yes, Malkin. yes, Michelle Malkin. Yeah. Yeah, she she's is yeah. Uh, she's a firebrand man. She she really she she's even done um she's even done she, she did a speech at an at, at Amran conference. Yeah, yes. Yeah, she's very, very intelligent. Yeah, she he's a yeah, I, I, I like Michelle too. She she's a firebrand. And they also like this other conservative woman, Neri Eberstad. She's super smart. Yeah, and, and Coulter says a lot of things that are true, but she's kind of a kind of a bitch. Why do you why do why do you call Ann Coulter a bitch? Well, just her attitude, her attitude. But uh, but but have you, know, you met her in person? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a feeling, I guess, <laughs> that, that she's a bitch. Okay. But I but I, but 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 I agree with I agree with most, if not all, of her opinions. Well, I I like her. I think she's funny. I went somewhere and I met a young man, and he told me a story about Ann Coulter, but I won't repeat it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll send you an email. It's going to be funny as hell. Oh, you gonna send me an email? Yeah, about her. What? 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny as hell. <laughs> I am tempted to say, it, but I have more class than that. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome to if you want. Uh, I'll send you the email. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll look forward. Did to you that. interview Paul Gottfried? I did. Okay. I yeah, that, I that's sure. that's my hero. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> that no, that that's my hero. I'm a big fan. Yeah, he's 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 brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he's he, like I think he's like the smartest guy on the right. Like he's super smart. Yeah, I I interviewed him quite some time ago. That, yeah. that, and that, that that's my problem with Ben. Ben doesn't interview enough base people. Like most yeah. of the people who are interviewed by Ben are getting still now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. I almost interviewed. I was. Do you know who Billboard Chris is? Billboard Chris, no. Okay, Billboard Chris. He's this Canadian guy that goes around all over the world. Actually, he was just going around North America, but he goes all around the world, and he has a billboard on his chest, and it says, and he makes these arguments um, that. Uh, children are too young to consent to puberty blockers because of all this, you know, transgender crap. Yeah. And they're doing that to the children. But anyway, I almost interviewed him, but there was some kind of glitch and I couldn't, we couldn't get, get it connected. Okay. But uh, I wasn't sure if you were familiar with him or not, but he's, he's gotten pretty, pretty notable, pretty famous. Okay. So he might be somebody for you to check out. Okay. That would be good. Yeah. So, well, I, th- I think we've said everything we have yeah, to say. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I really want to thank you, uh, Mr. Matthews, for coming on. Uh, I always, always enjoy our conversations. 
You always have intelligent things to say. You always educate me, and I'm sure the audience that listens, and uh, and you know, you're one in a million. Let me let me ask you this: in Jamaica, is there anybody else that you can think of any 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 level of thinker that's similar on your scale? They died. They died. Okay. Yeah, so Jamaica has a lot of good writers, but people get old and they died. Right. Nobody lives forever. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. There's a, there was a woman called Dawn Rich. She's not deceased, but she's under the radar. I spoke to her once a few years ago, but Jamaica had really good writers, but, but they died, unfortunately. Okay. So the people okay. writing, who are writing now are just lame. Well, sleep. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> maybe they'll eventually wake up. Okay, all right. Okay, well, sir, I want to thank you again for show, for for calling in. Uh, don't hang up yet because I have to disconnect. Before, if if you hang up, I won't be able to finish the show. Uh, but let me just just take a few minutes. Uh, I want to thank thank Lipton Matthews for giving me the interview again. Another excellent interview. This has been the Conservative Atheist. Uh, I'm I'm the host of the Conservative Atheist podcast. We drop a podcast Monday through Friday, and that's. Monday, uh, uh, Sunday night uh, after 12.01 Eastern Standard Time into Monday morning. And then the last one drops Thursday night into Friday morning after 12.01 Eastern Standard Time. They last anywhere from an hour to two hours to three hours or more, all depending on the topic we're discussing, uh, the co-hosts that are involved, the, the person that I'm interviewing, and uh, many different factors. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to any podcast platform. Our, our main home is Spotify. But we're also on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google, we're on Amazon, we're on every podcast platform you could possibly think of. iHeartRadio, just type in conservative atheist, look for the clown face uh, with, the, with the American flag wrapped around it, and you've come to the right place. And uh, it's free to subscribe, and we've done, we've done hundreds of uh, episodes, and we've interviewed very interesting people like, like Lipton Matthews, and we'll continue to bring you that kind of material as much as humanly possible. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, I want to thank Lipton Matthews for, for coming on and uh, take care everybody. One last thing before I let you go tonight, when you're laying flat on your back in your bed, staring up at the ceiling in the dark, trying to drift off to sleep, I want you to repeat this mantra over and over and over again. Conservative atheist is always right. 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 Hey, conservative atheist. He's always right. And in the morning when you wake up, you're going to feel like a refreshed, renewed person. The sun is going to shine brighter. The air is going to feel crisper. The flowers are going to smell sweeter. And the birds are going to sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if not, maybe you're not an individual. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think in, a, in the collective. Maybe you're a sheep. And maybe if you listen to more conservative atheist podcast, you can change that. You can become more of an individual, more of an innovator instead of a follower. Who knows? Anything's possible. I want to thank Lipton Matthews again for coming on. Brilliant man. Always a pleasure. 
And uh, for those of you that think I'm this horrible, horrible racist, if I was, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel that way about Lefty Matthews, but I do. I have a lot of admiration for that man. And I really appreciate every time he comes on the show. All right. I'll talk to you knuckleheads next time.